Book the Third, Chapter Thirteen, Part One of Armadale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Armadale by Wilkie Collins. Book the Third, Chapter Thirteen, An Old Man's Heart. Punctual to the moment when the half-hour's interval had expired mr bashwood was announced at the office as waiting to see mr pedgift by special appointment the lawyer looked up from his papers with an air of annoyance he had totally forgotten the meeting by the roadside see what he wants said pedgift senior to pedgift junior working in the same room with him and if it's nothing of importance put it off to some other time pedgift junior swiftly disappeared and swiftly returned well asked the father well answered the son he is rather more shaky and unintelligible than usual i can make nothing out of him except that he persists in wanting to see you my own idea pursued pedgift junior with his usual sardonic gravity is that he is going to have a fit and that he wishes to acknowledge your uniform kindness to him by obliging you with a private view of the whole proceeding Pedgift Senior habitually matched everybody, his son included, with their own weapons. "'Be good enough to remember, Augustus,' he rejoined, "'that my room is not a court of law. A bad joke is not invariably followed by roars of laughter here. Let Mr. Bashwood come in.' Mr. Bashwood was introduced, and Pedgift Jr. withdrew. "'You mustn't bleed him, sir,' whispered the incorrigible joker as he passed the back of his father's chair hot water bottles to the soles of his feet and a mustard plaster on the pit of his stomach that's the modern treatment sit down bashwood said pedgift senior when they were alone and don't forget that time's money out with it whatever it is at the quickest possible rate and in the fewest possible words these preliminary directions bluntly but not at all unkindly spoken rather increased than diminished the painful agitation under which mr bashwood was suffering he stammered more helplessly he trembled more continuously than usual as he made his little speech of thanks and added his apologies at the end for intruding on his patron in business hours everybody in the place mr pedgift sir knows your time is valuable oh dear yes oh dear yes most valuable most valuable excuse me sir I'm coming out with it. Your goodness, or rather your business, no, your goodness gave me half an hour to wait, and I have thought of what I had to say, and prepared it, and put a chart. Having got as far as that, he stopped with a pained, bewildered look. He had put it away in his memory, and now, when the time came, he was too confused to find it. And there was Mr. Pedgift, mutely waiting, his face and manner expressive alike of that silent sense of the value of his own time which every patient who had visited a great doctor every client who has consulted a lawyer in large practice knows so well have you heard the news sir stammered mr bashwood shifting his ground in despair and letting the uppermost idea in his mind escape him simply because it was the one idea in him that was ready to come out does it concern me asked pedgift senior mercilessly brief and mercilessly straight in coming to the point it concerns a lady sir 
no, not a lady, a young man, I ought to say, in whom you used to feel some interest. Oh, Mr. Pedgift, sir, what do you think? Mr. Armadale and Miss Gwilt have gone up to London together to-day, alone, sir, alone in a carriage reserved for their two selves. Do you think he's going to marry her? Do you really think, like the rest of them, he's going to marry her? He put the question with a sudden flush in his face and a sudden energy in his manner. His sense of the value of the lawyer's time, his conviction of the greatness of the lawyer's condescension, his constitutional shyness and timidity, all yielded together to his one overwhelming interest in hearing Mr. Pedgift's answer. He was loud for the first time in his life in putting the question. After my experience of Mr. Armadale, said the lawyer, instantly hardening in look and manner, I believe him to be infatuated enough to marry Miss Gwilt a dozen times over, if Miss Gwilt chose to ask him. Your news doesn't surprise me in the least, Bashwood. I'm sorry for him. I can honestly say that, though he has set my advice at defiance. And I'm more sorry still, he continued, softening again as his mind reverted to his interview with Neely under the trees of the park. I'm more sorry still for another person who shall be nameless. But what I have to do with all this, and what on earth is the matter with you? He resumed, noticing for the first time the abject misery in Mr. Bashwood's manner, the blank despair in Mr. Bashwood's face, which his answer had produced. Are you ill? Is there something behind the curtain that you are afraid to bring out? I don't understand it. Have you come here, here in my private room, in business hours, with nothing to tell me but that young Armadale has been fool enough to ruin his prospects for life? Why, I foresaw it all weeks since, and what is more, I as good as told him so at the last conversation I had with him in the great house. At those last words, Mr. Bashwood suddenly rallied. The lawyer's passing reference to the great house had led him back in a moment to the purpose that he had in view. "'That's it, sir,' he said eagerly. "'That's what I wanted to speak to you about. That's what I've been preparing in my mind. Mr. Pedgift, sir, the last time you were at the great house, when you came away in your gig, you—you you overtook me on the drive.' "'I dare say I did,' remarked Pedgift, resignedly. My mare happens to be a trifle quicker on her legs than you are on yours, Bashwood. Go on, go on. We shall come in time, I suppose, to what you are driving at. You stopped and spoke to me, sir, proceeded Mr. Bashwood, advancing more and more eagerly to his end. You said you suspected me of feeling some curiosity about Miss Gwilt, and you told me, I remember the exact words, sir, you told me to gratify my curiosity by all means, for you didn't object to it. Pedgift Sr. began for the first time to look interested in hearing more. "'I remember something of the sort,' he replied. "'And I also remember thinking it rather remarkable that you should happen—we won't put it in any more offensive way—to be exactly under Mr. Armadale's open window while I was talking to him. It might have been accident, of course, but it looked rather more like curiosity. I could only judge by appearances,' concluded Pedgift pointing his sarcasm with a pinch of snuff. And appearances, Bashwood, were decidedly against you. I don't deny it, sir. I only mentioned the circumstance, because I wished to acknowledge that I was curious, and am curious, about Miss Gwilt. Why? asked Pedgift Senior, seeing something under the surface in Mr. Bashwood's face and manner, but utterly in the dark thus far, as to what that something might be. There was silence for a moment. The moment passed. 
Mr. Bashwood took the refuge, usually taken by nervous, unready men, placed in his circumstances, when they were at a loss for an answer. He simply reiterated the assertion that he had just made. "'I feel some curiosity, sir,' he said, with a strange mixture of doggedness and timidity. "'About Miss Gwilt.' There was another moment of silence. In spite of his practised acuteness and knowledge of the world, the lawyer was more puzzled than ever. The case of Mr. Bashwood presented the one human riddle of all others which he was least qualified to solve. Though year after year, witnesses in thousands and thousands of cases, the remorseless disinheriting of nearest and nearest relations, the unnatural breaking up of sacred family ties, the deplorable severance of old and firm friendships, due entirely to the intense self-absorption which the sexual passion can produce when it enters the heart of an old man, the association of love with affirmity and grey hairs arouses. Nevertheless, all the world over, no other idea than the idea of extravagant improbability or extravagant absurdity in the general mind. If the interview now taking place in Mr. Pedgift's consulting room had taken place at his dinner-table instead, when wine had opened his mind to humorous influences, it is possible that he might, by this time, have suspected the truth. But, in his business hours, Pedgift Sr. was in the habit of investigating men's motives seriously from the business point of view, and he was, on that very account, simply incapable of conceiving any improbability so startling, any absurdity so enormous, as the absurdity and improbability of Mr. Bashwood's being in love. Some men, in the lawyer's position, would have tried to force their way to enlightenment by obstinately repeating the unanswered question. Pedgift Sr. wisely postponed the question until he had moved the conversation on another step. Well, he resumed, let us say you feel a curiosity about Miss Gwilt. What next? The palms of Mr. Bashwood's hands began to moisten under the influence of his agitation, as they had moistened in the past days when he had told the story of his domestic sorrows to midwinter at the great house. Once more he rolled his handkerchief into a ball and dabbed it softly to and fro, from one hand to the other. "'May I ask if I'm right, sir,' he began, in believing that you have a very unfavorable opinion of Miss Gwilt? You're quite convinced, I think.' "'My good fellow,' interrupted Pedgift Senior, "'why need you be in any doubt about it? You were under Mr. Armadale's open window all the while I was talking to him. And your ears, I presume, were not absolutely shut.' Mr. Bashwood showed no sense of the interruption. The little sting of the lawyer's sarcasm was lost in the nobler pain that wrung him from the wound inflicted by Miss Gwilt. "'You are quite convinced, I think, sir,' he resumed, "'that there are circumstances in this lady's past life which would be highly discreditable to her if they were discovered at the present time?' "'The window was open at the great house, Bashwood, and your ears, I presume, were not absolutely shut.' Still impenetrable to the sting, Mr. Bashwood persisted more obstinately than ever. "'Unless I am greatly mistaken,' he said, "'your long experience in such things has even suggested to you, sir, that Miss Gwilt might turn out to be known by the police?' Pedgift Senior's patience gave way. "'You've been over ten minutes in this room,' he broke out. "'Can you or can you not tell me in plain English what you want?' In plain English, with the passion that had transformed him, the passion which— in Miss Gwilt's own words, had made a man of him, burning in his haggard cheeks, Mr. Bashwood met the challenge, and faced the lawyer, as the worried sheep faces the dog, 
on his own ground. "'I wish to say, sir,' he answered, "'that your opinion in this matter is my opinion too. "'I believe there is something wrong in Miss Gwilt's past life, "'which she keeps concealed from everybody, "'and I want to be the man who knows it.' Pedgift Senior saw his chance, "'and instantly reverted to the question that he had postponed. "'Why?' he asked for the second time. For the second time, Mr. Bashwood hesitated. Could he acknowledge that he had been mad enough to love her, and mean enough to be a spy for her? Could he say, she has deceived me from the first, and she has deserted me, now her object is served? After robbing me of my happiness, robbing me of my honor, robbing me of my last hope left in life, she has gone from me forever, and left me nothing but my old man's longing, slow and sly, and strong and changeless, for revenge, Revenge that I may have, if I can poison her success by dragging her frailties into the public view. Revenge that I'll buy, for what is gold or what is life to me? With the last farthing of my hoarded memory and the last drop of my stagnant blood, could he say that to the man who sat waiting for his answer? No, he could only crush it down and be silent. The lawyer's expression began to harden once more. One of us must speak out, he said and as you evidently won't, I will. I can only account for this extraordinary anxiety of yours to make yourself acquainted with Miss Gwilt's secrets in one of two ways. Your motive is either an excessively mean one, no offence, Bashwood, I am only putting the case, or an excessively generous one. After my experience of your honest character and your creditable conduct, it is only your due that I should absolve you, at once, of the mean motive. I believe you are as incapable as I am, I can say no more, of turning to mercenary account any discoveries you might make to Miss Gwilt's prejudice in Miss Gwilt's past life. Shall I go on any further? Or would you prefer, on second thoughts, opening your mind frankly to me of your own accord? I should prefer not interrupting you, sir, said Mr. Bashwood. As you please, pursued Pedgift Senior. Having absolved you of the mean motive, I come to the generous motive next. It is possible that you are an unusually grateful man, and it is certain that Mr. Armadale has been remarkably kind to you. After employing you under Mr. Midwinter in the steward's office, he has had confidence enough in your honesty and your capacity, now his friend has left him, to put his business entirely and unreservedly in your hands. It's not in my experience of human nature, but it may be possible, nevertheless, that you are so gratefully sensible of that confidence and so gratefully interested in your employer's welfare that you can't see him, in his friendless position, going straight to his own disgrace and ruin, without making an effort to save him. To put it in two words, is it your idea that Mr. Armadale might be prevented from marrying Miss Gwilt if he could be informed in time of her real character? And do you wish to be the man who opens his eyes to the truth? If that is the case... He stopped in astonishment. Acting under some uncontrollable impulse, Mr. Bashwood had started to his feet. He stood with his withered face lit up by a sudden irradiation from within, which made him look younger than his age by a good twenty years. He stood, gasping for breath enough to speak, and gesticulated entreatingly at the lawyer with both hands. "'Say it again, sir,' he burst out, eagerly, recovering his breath before Pedgift Sr. had recovered his surprise. "'The question about Mr. Armadale, sir, only once more.' Only once more, Mr. Pedgift, please. 
with his practised observation closely and distrustfully at work on mr bashwood's face pedgift senior motioned to him to sit down again and put the question for the second time do i think said mr bashwood repeating the sense but not the words of the question that mr armadale might be parted from miss gwilt if she could be shown to him as she really is yes sir and do i wish to be the man who does it yes sir yes sir yes sir it is rather strange remarked the lawyer looking at him more and more distrustfully that you should be so violently agitated simply because my question happens to have hit the mark the question happened to have hit a mark which pedgift little dreamed of it had released mr bashwood's mind in an instant from the dead pressure of his one dominant idea of revenge and had shown him a purpose to be achieved by the discovery of miss gwilt's secrets which had never occurred to him till that moment the marriage which he had blindly regarded as inevitable was a marriage that might be stopped not in allen's interest but in his own and the woman whom he believed that he had lost might yet in spite of circumstances be a woman won his brain whirled as he thought of it his own aroused resolution almost daunted him by its terrible incongruity with all the familiar habits of his mind and all the customary proceedings of his life finding his last remark unanswered pedgift senior considered a little before he said anything more one thing is clear reasoned the lawyer with himself his true motive in this matter is a motive which he is afraid to avow my question evidently offered him a chance of misleading me and he has accepted it on the spot that's enough for me if i was mr armadale's lawyer the mystery might be worth investigating as things are it's no interest of mine to hunt mr bashwood from one lie to another till i run him to earth at last i have nothing whatever to do with it and i shall leave him free to follow his own roundabout courses in his own roundabout way having arrived at that conclusion pedgift senior pushed back his chair and rose briskly to terminate the interview don't be alarmed bashwood he began the subject of our conversation is a subject exhausted so far as i am concerned i have only a few last words to say and it's a habit of mine as you know to say my last words on my legs whatever else i may be in the dark about i have made one discovery at any rate i have found out what you really want with me at last you want me to help you if you would be so very very kind sir stammered mr bashwood if you would only give me the great advantage of your opinion and advice wait a bit bashwood we will separate those two things if you please a lawyer may offer an opinion like any other man but when a lawyer gives his advice by the lord harry sir it's professional you're welcome to my opinion in this matter i have disguised it from nobody i believe there have been events in miss gwilt's career which if they could be discovered would even make mr armadale infatuated as he is afraid to marry her supposing of course that he really is going to marry her for though the appearances are in favor of it so far it is only an assumption after all as to the mode of proceeding by which the blots on this woman's character might or might not be brought to light in time she may be married by license in a fortnight if she likes that is a branch of the question on which i positively decline to enter it implies speaking in my character as a lawyer and giving you what i decline positively to give you my professional advice oh sir don't say that pleaded mr bashwood don't deny me the great favor the inestimable advantage of your advice i have such a poor head mr pedgift 
I'm so old and so slow, sir, and I get so sadly startled and worried when I'm thrown out of my ordinary ways. It's quite natural you should be a little impatient with me for taking up your time. I know that time is money, to a clever man like you. Would you excuse me, would you please excuse me, if I venture to say that I have saved a little something, a few pounds, sir, and being quite lonely, with nobody dependent on me, I'm sure I may spend my savings as I please. Blind to every consideration, but the one consideration of propitiating Mr. Pedgift, he took out a dingy, ragged old pocket-book, and tried, with trembling fingers, to open it on the lawyer's table. "'Put your pocket-book back directly,' said Pedgift Senior. "'Richer men than you have tried that argument with me, and have found that there is such a thing, off the stage, as a lawyer who is not to be bribed. I will have nothing to do with the case, under existing circumstances.' If you want to know why, I beg to inform you that Miss Gwilt ceased to be professionally interesting to me on the day when I ceased to be Mr. Armadale's lawyer. I may have other reasons besides, which I don't think it necessary to mention. The reason already given is explicit enough. Go your own way, and take your responsibility on your own shoulders. You may venture within reach of Miss Gwilt's clause and come out again without being scratched. Time will show. In the meanwhile, I wish you good morning, and I own, to my shame, that I never knew till to-day what a hero you were. This time Mr. Bashwood felt the sting. Without another word of expostulation or entreaty, without even saying good morning on his side, he walked to the door, opened it softly, and left the room. End of chapter 13, part 1